Hey everyone, this is Kelsey Jo Hillis, photographer, entrepreneur, wife, mom, and recovering people pleaser. This is my podcast, Picturing Purpose, where I have transparent and meaningful conversations with people from all different walks of life. My hope with this podcast is that you find encouragement, lean on faith, and trust God's purpose for your life. So with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode of Picturing Purpose. Hello, Purpose Pleasers. Before I get into this week's episode, I wanted to announce this month's organization that your podcast proceeds will go to. For the month of March, 50% of our proceeds will be going to CASA of Sebastian County. I have been a part of this wonderful organization as a volunteer since the end of 2020, and I absolutely love it. CASA will be joining us on next week's episode, so stay tuned on finding out more about CASA and what they do for children within the foster care system. You can donate by going to kelseyjoephotography.com slash picturingpurposepodcast. This week's episode is with author Victoria Bragg. I discovered Victoria through our mutual friend Rebecca Wells. You may remember Rebecca from our Spiritual Gifts episode. Victoria has an amazing testimony and wrote an incredible book that I encourage you all to read. I don't want to give the entire book away, but Victoria shares her personal story from her past abusive marriage with her ex-husband. Victoria found healing through her relationship with God and also her professional counselor. Counseling played a big role in Victoria's healing journey and she encourages her readers to seek help. I wanted to gear this conversation towards anyone that may have been or are currently in an abusive situation. There is a way out and there is healing after the escape. I truly believe that God hands us these circumstances to walk through and build us into the strong people we are today and to help others seek their own personal healing. During this episode, we look at perspectives from the parent, child, victim, and even the abuser. If this is a difficult subject for you to listen to, I encourage you to ask God for comfort and guidance throughout this episode. If you need to stop and pick up where you left off on another day, that is completely okay. We are all human and we all have our struggles. What matters is that you are continuing to better yourself and to heal each and every day. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Purpose Pleasers. This is Kelsey Joe with Picturing Purpose. And today's episode is with my friend Victoria Bragg. She wrote a book called Escape from Darkness, A Perspective from the Couch. And I personally read it myself a few months ago. Like I told her earlier, I had to kind of refresh myself because I'm not good at retaining things after a few months, which is kind of sad, but you know, maybe that's a normal thing. I don't know. Victoria, you want to say hi? Hi. How's everybody? (laughs) Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes. I appreciate you being here and I'll, I'll kind of fill my audience in on how we discovered each other. Uh, if anybody has listened to the spiritual gifts episode from, gosh, I think it was the end of last year, my friend Rebecca Wells was on, and uh, Rebecca Wells is a mutual friend between us. Mm-hmm. How do you know Rebecca? Is it is, does it go way back? Oh, goes way back. Way way back. Yeah, when she was in master's commissions at harvest time. Okay. Actually, my husband was her group leader, our Sunday school teacher or somewhere, a leader like that. And he said, I need you to meet somebody. So he took us to dinner and I said, I'm keeping her. (laughs) I'm keeping her. She is a keeper. She is. I still have her. Yes. 
And she had reached out to me about you first and said, hey, I know someone that you would absolutely love. (laughs) (laughs) And you would probably really want to have her on a podcast. She wrote a book. She's gone through a lot of difficulties in her life and she's just overcome everything and so on and so forth. And then I got an email from you talking about everything and so I was already familiar reading the email that you know Rebecca had already talked to me about you and then you sent me your book and I read it and I loved it and I'm a a slow book reader so it took me you know a month or two Um, I'm also that type of person where I will start reading another book in the middle of another book and then I'll go back to it but I really really enjoyed it i I kind of want you to maybe, first off, tell our audience why you wrote the book, when you wrote the book, and like how that kind of came about for you. When I wrote the book was, Mm -hmm. I believe 2018 is when I started it. Okay. And it was actually published right at COVID, 2020 of March. That's when it made its release. And uh, I thought, wow. What a perfect time for a book to release during COVID when nobody's got anything to do but read. Right. (laughs) Perfect timing. Isn't that crazy? Couldn't believe it. But the book came about organically. Uh, Uh I was in counseling here in Fort Smith with in Relationship Solutions. Okay. I highly love those folks. Yeah, we love that place. I know. They're just great. Yes. And during that, um, I guess that process was a two-year process for me. I began to journal because I'm a writer anyway. Yeah. And somewhere in that process of journaling, all that all that experience, I felt like this needs to be a book. So I began to just remorph all my journaling into right. what I knew was going to eventually become a book. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it as a perspective from the couch. Yes. So that's my tagline on the book. Right, that's right. It. And if you just pick up the book, you're like, perspective from the couch. Like, is she sleeping on the couch? Is she watching TV? What's going on? But then you discover that, okay, she's talking about counseling. Because, I mean, that's the first thing you talk about in the book. I am a big, personally, I'm a big fan of counseling. I There's nothing wrong with being a strong, believing, Bible-believing Christian, but also having a professional counselor in your life. You know, I think God puts certain people in our lives for a reason. And from my personal background in counseling, my counselor is what led me to my relation, back to my relationship with God because I had walked away from him for a little bit. I still believed in him. I just wasn't, you know, living a godly life. And I don't know if I would have gone back to him so quickly if it weren't for my counselor. Mm -hmm. So it took you about... A year to write it, or a year and a half? About two years. Okay. About two years, and then I just suddenly knew that that was enough. I had written what I needed to write, and then I started going through for the first time ever as an author. You, you don't. You just have to learn the process. It's just like podcasting or blogging right. or anything else. You have to learn the process. So I began to work through that process to get it published. Mm, yeah. After that, and the hardest part about writing a book like that—that that you have opened up your entire life even right. to your, your family, right, was handing it over. I remember to, for somebody to read and right. edit. Or, and it was just like... Like all, you're handing over your diary. Oh, my gosh. Here's all my, here's all my secrets. Yeah. You know, <laughs> be easy on me. Yeah. And people that have known you all your life, including your, your siblings and your family and, and your, your children, was the hardest one for me to actually hand it over to was my son. Right. But 
Because he's I, a big part of the book, too. He is a big part of the book. Yeah. And I hadn't even told him that you wrote that about was him. happening. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and and even the even the counselor that's involved, you know, I said, can I, can I even mention your first name in this? Because you're all such a part of right. what has happened here. Right. And I wanted to, I knew that my mission in the book was to take the stigma off of counseling. Yes. I have always been open as far as that goes to right. to suggestions and counseling or whatever. But if you can, just like Lisa told me in, in our counseling sessions, if you can reframe that. She reframed so many things for me. Right. And if you can reframe that counseling stigma thing and just understand that you're talking to somebody that can be objective with you. Right. And give you guidance along the way. Yeah. And it doesn't, and okay, so you're paying the money or your insurance is, however you want to look at it, but there's so much stigma about counseling that it shows weakness, mm-hmm. mental weakness. Especially for men. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, which, very thankful my husband is not like that. that right. Was, that was his suggestion that we went. Yes. But the weakness, it's its not that at all. It's actually strength, strength. and courage. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to to flop that and one of the things that she that my counselor did tell me was we've never really gotten a perspective from where you sit right the couch right right I thought wow what a neat tagline that would be yeah and how rewarding it is for counselors to hear that their clients are so appreciative of what they do because you know everybody wants to hear that they're making an impact in the world. And sometimes when you are doing it on a daily basis, like, you know, my counselor, he just, you know, listens to people's troubles all day and, and helps them and it kind of becomes who you are. And sometimes he'll be out and about and he'll be able to discern if, you know, someone is hurting and he'll, you know, kind of start to, (laughs) okay, am I supposed to go over there and help them? You know, and his wife has, you know, touched his arm, honey, you're not working right now. It's okay. (laughs) And, I mean, that's what they live with on a daily basis. Like, I couldn't imagine being a counselor. I've thought about going to be a counselor, and I was like, I don't know if I can carry all of that. Um, So they have a really amazing spirit about them. And it's a call. Yes, a big call, yes. Purpose on their life, for sure. So... I don't want you to completely tell the whole story of the book, because I want people to want to read the book themselves. (laughs) Can you... Tell us kind of a just a short description of the book and what your purpose for the book is. The purpose is to encourage people to take a look at their past and see what formed them, what molded them, mm. what makes them who they are today. Yeah. And just take a look at if they're carrying around any baggage that can just go. Right. And all of us are. Right. You know, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, that's not me. Well, I kinda, yeah. I'm probably going to beg to differ because we all still carry it. Right. And it's a daily, it's a daily thing. Uh, we're walking out our salvation. Yes. So as we walk that out, we continue to see things that come up. But once you get past that place of real trauma, when she mentioned trauma to me, it made me mad. Right. I think I even said that in the book because I looked at her and I'm like, me? Trauma? What What are you even seeing? Right. Well, as I begin to study out trauma and understand that it reaches us on a cellular level. Yeah. Deep within our spirit. Yeah. And it becomes part of us. And, yeah. And it becomes part of our daily actions and how we behave. Mm-hmm. Then I realized, okay, this is something I do need to take a look at. Yeah. And once I started taking a look at it, 
then as you begin to face those things, that, those obstacles that come up in front of you and you think, oh, that's something I don't even need. You know, Christ died on the cross for me for this. I can give this up. Right. And you begin to slough it off and, and walk into your freedom. That's what I want people to see. It gets easier. Yes. That initial thing, it's hard. It's hard. Yes. It's, we have talked about this before on the podcast that counseling is not just sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> it's not. It's very, it can be very, very difficult at times, but it's worth it. It's worth the, the difficulty of digging in to your past traumas. And all of us have some sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. Some are, you know, more traumatic than others, but it's still trauma. You mentioned something about people like yourself when you were mad that she mentioned trauma. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, deep down, that is a part of your trauma where you're protective of of your trauma. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, a, a lot of people, especially, um, you know, something that I've discovered through counseling is that it's okay to say, hey, I had loving and amazing parents that loved me unconditionally, but there were times where they were not perfect, and that's okay. And I don't hold that against them. I forgive them for that. And I, um, I know that what they came from was not amazing. And instead of them taking the steps to heal, you know, especially my generation of uh, parents, you know, it, going to counseling, of course, was a really big stigma of weakness. And only people that want to try and kill themselves go to counseling. Right. So growing up in that generation, you kind of become protective of your parents. And if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, you know, what your parent did in the past, like what, you know, this example of this, that wasn't right. And that, you know, it's okay to forgive them, but it's okay to acknowledge that, that what they did was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that a lot of people my age really have a hard time with that. They're like, not my parents. My parents were great. My parents were amazing. And that's okay. Like you, if, if your parents were amazing, that's great. But they also weren't perfect. I'm sure there were instances in, in your life where they weren't perfect. And it's okay to acknowledge those. Don't dwell on them, of course. Don't bring them up constantly. Don't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to acknowledge when they did wrong and to try and heal that because that's the only way we're going to heal if we know what we're healing from. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so I don't want to talk too much about that, but I love that you brought that up about a lot of people aren't willing to heal because they don't want to face what they're supposed to heal from. Right. You yeah. have to, and there's there's where the line of courage is. You, yeah. you have to be able to go back and take a look at that. Right. It, it is really difficult because I remember the first time I really dug into that with my past, it was hard and I didn't really want to believe it mm-hmm. because we were taught that if we have a good roof over our head and food in our bellies and parents that encourage us to do, you know, great things that we should be satisfied with that and we should just be thankful and we shouldn't complain about anything. And I'm not saying that I'm you're blessed. (laughs) Exactly. Like then you have, then you have no room to talk about the things that your parents didn't do perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such a horrible, horrible stigma. Like 
it, I know that I am going to do my very best with my children. My husband and I are both going to try our very best. We're going to bring them up in a Christian home and we're going to try to live it a Christ-like example for them so that when they grow up, they want to live for Christ. And, you know, we hope and pray that they take those steps. But there's going to be a day where my kids are like, Mom, I wish you would have done this a little bit better in my life. And I'm going to have to swallow that and say, you know what, you're right. And, you know, mommy is sorry that she didn't do that. And I recognize that. That's all, that's so healthy. (laughs) But people, but people look at that as if that's like weakness. Like you're going to show your child that uh, that's a a weak thing to express their feelings. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned that protecting the trauma, there is a thing called self-protector Mm-hmm. And a funny thing happened in some of our early sessions in counseling is I could feel her seeing me. She could mm. see my trauma and I knew it. Yeah. And I mentioned it early in the book. She's looking right in your, right in your eyes. Oh, reading my mail. Yes. You know, and <laughs> it, that, that even made me uncomfortable because I right. thought I have, I, I mentioned it early in the book when yes. I first walked into her office and you know that you've, just met somebody that can change the whole trajectory of your entire life. Right. And I didn't know if I wanted it. Right. When I saw her. So funny man- manifestation was I'd always put my glasses on top of my head because I can't see without my glasses. So yes. I, I love that part of the book. She can't see me. I mean, I can't see her. Then she yes. can't see me, obviously. Yes. And, and when she read that herself, she was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that. But those are those things that go through your your thoughts that, that manifest its behavior yeah, that manifests because of trauma. Yeah. Like if I don't see it, then maybe it's not real. Maybe it's not happening. Yeah. If I can't see her, then yes. okay, she probably can't see me. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you talk a lot about your uh, past abusive relationship in the book. Mm-hmm. Did you not think in that time of your counseling that that was not traumatic? Like, were you, were you not recognizing that as trauma? Uh, that's a really good question. Okay, because good. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> that's funny because I was an advocate, a rape victim advocate <gasps> here in the crisis center in Fort wow. Smith for a while. And we had to go through a lot of training that the, you right. know, the officers give you and that kind of thing. And I called, I went through that training, get out of the training, call my sister and said, I think I was abused. Yeah. She goes, duh. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's just funny. (laughs) But you do, I know, because it's a real thing. You're in it. It's like the uh, frog in the boiling water thing. Right. You're in it. The water is getting hotter. You don't know when you're going to jump out or that you even can jump out. Right. It's something that uh, slowly escalates in your life, and it becomes a way of life, and you learn to deal with it as you go. Right. And... I do want to mention that it's not just physical abuse. It's verbal. It's emotional. It's manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, especially women, don't recognize abuse because they've just seen it their whole life. Their parents did it. Their aunts and uncles did it. All their friends growing up, their parents did it. So they're like, oh, well, this is just normal life. Like, men just talk to women this way. And, and, it's, and it's, it goes both ways, too. Women can be abusive in relationships. But I feel that it's harder for them to recognize it because, well, that, you know, this is just how, this is how my dad tr- treated my mom. And they still loved each other. And, you know, when really 
behind all of that that you didn't see, there was a lot of hurt and pain that they were both going through that you just didn't recognize as a child. So you grow up into that. You grow into that environment and you're like, this is how it's supposed to be. Yes. And that's why women, so many women these days marry men that are very similar to their fathers. Mm-hmm. And it, it just blows my mind how it's hard for me now that I've gone through so much healing to see people not healing because they don't want to face things. And that's my, my controlling nature where I have to, I have to pray through that because <laughs> I'm like, why don't you see it? And that, that's really difficult to, um, to get through. So you don't have to go into super big detail, but you, you were in an abusive relationship for how many years? 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, 17 before I, I made the move. Yeah. And, and then was exhausted when I finally did make the move. There was, there was no other option than to, to just yeah. walk out. Wow. And to your point about whether it's physical or mental abuse, mm-hmm. he was never physical. And looking back at where the, the trauma was laid down and where the abuse came, he actually carried that in. We were young when we got married. We both carried a lot of baggage yes, from our generational bondages mm-hmm. into the marriage. Yes. And that's another reason it's so important to get free so you can break, yeah. break those generational things. Yeah. Yes. You know, so it doesn't just carry into your next that's right. Your next relationship or your child's next relationship. Right. We can go ahead and open the book that that's, I truly believe that that's a spiritual thing too. I think that a lot of evil spiritual things can attach to our families through time. Mm-hmm. And it's until someone breaks that evil spirit and, um, and heals, really lives a, a life for God, that that's, I mean, that's the only way that it can really truly heal, I believe. I don't think a lot of people talk about that enough. You know, we say generational curses, that it's not something that was stirred up by the enemy. Right. And me as well, because my parents now, I'm probably your parents' generation. Right, right. And then my parents' generation even went back further, like into the 1920s and the 1930s. Yeah. And everything in our home was a secret. Right. Mine so too. when mm-hmm. I began to just really spill out what I thought were these huge secrets, right? Then I realized those really weren't secrets at all. But that's the way I was raised, right? It doesn't, didn't matter what went on behind closed doors; stayed behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. That's right. So my ex-husband and I were we were both raised with that generation, right? And unfortunately, had we had had some help. Mm-hmm somebody that could have just walked in and exposed all of it, we may have actually made it, to be honest. Right. Because, but there was nobody there because nobody knew. Right. It's, and it happens a lot. Yeah. That situation happens so much. Okay, so for 17 years, you were emotionally and verbally abused by your husband. Now, you said you weren't physically abused. Wasn't there a situation in the book that you mentioned that you were afraid of him locking you in somewhere? Okay, see, so there you go. Yeah, to me, that wasn't physical abuse. Oh, okay. Physical abuse was. <laughs> I mean, me, yeah, I guess it could be. Face. Yeah, it could be no, yes, fifty-fifty. So feel like I'm back in counseling, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a counselor. I'm not a professional counselor. Just a podcast host. <laughs> no, but really, the the uh, perspective on that is that is truth. To me, physical abuse was defined as slap me in the face, you know, knock me around. 
which he never did. Right. But yes, you're right. It was always something uh, pushy, right? Bullyish. Let me let me lock you in here to just frighten you, scare right. you. Yeah. What did it take to finally be free from that? Like I said, exhaustion. Yeah. I had left several times throughout the marriage, and about. 17 years was our total time of marriage, and then about 10 years into the marriage, I did what a lot of people do. I searched for some type of relief, so right. I had an affair. Yeah. And I had an extramarital affair, and then for that final seven years, that's when it got the worst, because there was just no, he was not going to forgive. He was not even going to look at forgiveness. The, what I call lockdown of emotion, right. it went even further, because he wasn't going to let me out of his sight at that point. So we finally just came to the point right around the Christmas holidays of all times for it to blow up. And I remember sitting down very calmly with him and saying, you're never going to forgive me, are you? And he said, never. And it was that quiet. Yeah. And after all of the, we were very loud when we got, when we did fight. After all of that and all the years of the things that we'd been through, I just simply walked out. Yeah. And never did go back after that. Yeah. I had a nervous breakdown after I walked out. Yeah. And I didn't really know your emotions come to a place when they actually cannot handle it. Mm-hmm. And I can remember thinking, I'm strong enough. I can do this. Right. This is fine. I can make it through this. I had begun to really lean into the Lord where I had never done before and had been several years into just leaning pretty hard into God and, and asking Him for direction. Yeah. Did I know it was going to end so abruptly like that? I mean, I even turned to my son at that time. He was about 13 years old. And I said, I will be back. I'm going to leave for just a little while. Walked out the door and didn't remember driving about 40 miles to a girlfriend's house. Just had no recall of it and fell in her door. And she basically said, it's time. Yeah. This is over. And um, you mentioned in the book that you were... You stayed with her for a few days, mm-hmm. and uh, you had to kind of trap yourself so that you wouldn't go back to his manipulation, like his phone calls and all of that. And that really, that spoke to me because I think so many of us get in our heads, like we'll leave something and we just know that it's right that we're leaving it. And then it's like, oh, but he's sad now that I'm gone, or he or she they're sad that I'm gone now, and um, maybe what I did wasn't right. Maybe maybe I do need to go back. And all of these manipulating things get into your head in an abusive situation. And I find it really powerful that you wrote in there how difficult it was for you to, like you were vomiting that it was like so stressful for you. You were you were physically feeling that emptiness because you knew that you your trauma was leading you to go back to this relationship. Mm-hmm. That that's just especially your son being there too. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But it is. But you're caught up in that cycle. Yes, the cycle had been going on for so long of codependency and mm-hmm. let me let's reach this pinnacle of emotions mm-hmm. that the your abuser yeah. gets you to a place where he knows he has control and then he, he kind of releases the control and 
like he would bring me to a place of just absolute crying and not knowing where I was and everything. And then he would release the control and we would be normal again. And I would think, okay, we're going to be good. Right. You know, so that's the cycle. That was our cycle that we got on. Yeah. And I'm sure even for him, if he were able to say from his point of view, he probably would recognize where he actually did that because right. that was our relationship. That's what we, that's how we did things. Yeah. So to break that cycle. Now I'm at counseling. <laughs> <laughs> no, to break that cycle is like tearing a piece of your own uh, DNA out. It really yeah. is. And so that's what I called the, I called it a nervous breakdown. My doctor actually said that was just a mental breakdown. But what I really, if I could try to encourage folks to, yes, you are strong. Mm-hmm. But when you just keep heaping piles of rubble on top of the emotions, they're, they will eventually break. Yeah. And it will be when you least expect it. Yeah. I like how you mentioned the cycle because... It is true that most abusive relationships, it's not always bad. Mm-hmm. It's not like every day is horrible because there is a time where it's like you see a little light at the end of the tunnel and you grab onto that and then it just goes downhill again because you're not, both of you aren't healing or, you know, stepping right. forward through healing. But I wrote down this prayer as I was getting prepping for this. I don't know why, I'm sure it's God leading it towards this, but I really wanted to gear this interview towards abusive relationships and any maybe any type of abuse for people to find healing through that. They may still be in the abusive relationship. They may have just gotten out of it, and now they're trying to heal. Um, so I just wrote down this prayer, and it says, Fleeing abuse. Father, I am afraid to leave. But I know this situation is not God-honoring. Give me the courage to leave an unsafe relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love that. God is there waiting on you. You just have to realize that there's some things that need to be... He needs to heal through you. And if you don't face it, you're never going to heal. I just love your story. Um, Especially because it... Gosh, 17 years of abuse. Not many people get out of those long-time abusive relationships. They pretty much just live them out until they die. Mm-hmm. And sorry that sounded cruel, but... <laughs> no, but, but truth, without, yeah. without ever finding the freedom. And I think there was something in my spirit that wanted freedom so desperately. Mm-hmm. And then we have to understand that uh, all of this was bathed in prayer, you know, even to my unknowing. Yeah. How much I cried out to God and how much I prayed to him how much I wrote in my journals just let me out of this I'm in I'm a prison in my own my own home is one of the things Mm -hmm. that I had written yes and on the outside here's what the outside looks like you know when when somebody's telling these stories you tend to think well they probably lived a shabby life blah 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 blah. no Mm -hmm. we had 200 acres of land we had yes I forgot to mention that that you you inherited like a farm and mm-hmm. all kinds of wonderful things, and we did. We, had, we yeah. lived a good life. You yeah, know? we had a lot of hobbies. We both loved fish. We both loved livestock. We had a great family. Um, this is all just dysfunction that goes on behind the closed doors. And I know there's so many people that live those hidden lives. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, and they can be healed. Yes, but 
in order to be healed, they have to realize that they're in a, an abusive relationship, and that's not normal. <laughs> right, that's not normal. Yeah. Right. You also mentioned in the book that you went through a really bad motorcycle wreck, mm-hmm. and that a lot of that changed you. Um, it You said that it was like a reset, that God told you it was a reset. Can you describe your situation? Absolutely. There's two types of, there's probably all kinds of trauma, but for me, right. this was a different one that I didn't even understand could rattle you from the inside out. And uh, my husband now, Eric, we, we both love to ride motorcycles. Yeah. Motorcycles are absolutely freeing to me. So we were riding uh, up by Harrison, Arkansas when I was hit head on by another vehicle. I met them coming around the curve. So I was actually going to write a book called uh, Meeting Jesus at 90 Miles Per Hour. Hey, uh, (laughs) in Jesus' name, you write it, girl. (laughs) Because we were both going 55 miles an hour when we hit. And just some incredible spiritual things happen in a a hit like that. Yes, please go into that. That I unraveled later. But when I hit, when the car hit me, my motorcycle goes underneath the car. It skids for, I don't know, 50 yards, and I go 50 yards the other way. It was like the length of a football field, the distance that we ended up from each other. But I went over the car. Motorcycle goes underneath the car. I hit the windshield, and my husband is an engineer, so he figures the calculations of hitting like the windshield. like it. it ramped me up, you know, right. shot me over the top of the car. Anyway, by the time they found me, they found me in the woods, and had cleared, I had cleared all the wreckage, which was a blessing in itself. I was knocked out, of course, mm-hmm. and had one broken leg in eight places mm. below my knee, yeah. shoulder dislocated, left wrist was broken. Wow. And other than that, my face wasn't broken, thank goodness. My shoulder, my yeah. uh, glasses were, and that was it. Yeah. But what I remember about that moment is waking up and, you know, a nurse always is close by during those kind of, of accidents. They show up. And yeah. There was one there on the highway. And she was praying for me, actually. And I woke up thinking, I heard the driver say, thank God she's alive. And I thought, well, yes, I'm alive. Why do people think I was dead? And I'd been out quite a while, I guess. Yeah. But my first thought was to get everybody saved that was around me. And I was, <laughs> I was asking everyone around me, so are you saved? Are you saved? And there was no pain, seriously, no pain at all in my body. Wow. I could see, I did not see Jesus, but I knew that I had a choice of life or death at that moment. Yeah. And I chose, my spirit chose life. And what I love about that moment is right before the hit, when I was writing, I love talking to the Holy Spirit, and yeah. in my helmet, I was saying, Holy Spirit, where are you? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? Yeah. And just having these conversations with him. And I truly believe that he was he braced me for what was, what was coming. Right. Wow. So when they life-flighted me from, that, from Harrison into Brant's, uh, Springfield, mm-hmm. sorry, into Springfield, where I got some of the best care ever. Yeah. And I was in the emergency room and we were getting people saved or trying to and all the <laughs> wow. and all of the uh, paramedics which I actually got a chance to talk to later. Mhm. I talked to them and uh, called them several weeks later after the wreck and he said 
you were just like getting all of us saved. And I said, <laughs> I know, but that's, that's, that was a place I, that's where I was coming from. I, I believe I was that close to heaven. And compared to before this wreck, were you the type of person to just go up to people and be like, are you saved? No. Wow. That's why it was okay. so, so much so that's why my character. It, yeah. And then it was a few weeks after the wreck when I either had a dream or an actual visitation from Jesus. And he just, I could see, he and I were standing and looking at this body laying in the ditch with mm-hmm. the motorcycle gear still on. And he said, you see that dead body leave it, laying in the ditch? And I said, yes. And he said, leave it there because I'm getting ready to reset everything that you thought you knew. Wow. Well, that was 2015, and it was 2017, I believe, or 16, when we actually started the counseling. Yeah. And things just began to unravel Mm. and deceit in my life that I had believed for years. Deceit that I had believed about religion. Mm -hmm. And he did reset everything and, and continues to reset. That's incredible. He's just amazing. He is. Yeah. He's so amazing. And, yeah. But there is a moment where you you know that you've chosen life and that he would have been glad for me to step over with him even at that moment. Right. But I had a conscious decision in my spirit. My spirit man had already chosen really? life. Really? Okay. When I was unconscious. unconscious. Yeah. Thank goodness. And here's, here's another thing that I learned through that wreck. When they found me, I was already praying healing over my body. Yeah. Before I ever woke up, before mm-hmm. I was ever co- mentally conscious, I was already commanding my body to be healed. I'll never know until the other side of heaven how much healing happened in that ditch. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, your spirit man knows. Yes. You know, and will we'll s- totally supersede your own intellect. Yeah. And then I was like, Thank God you reside in me. Right. <laughs> you know. Yes. You truly oh, wow. do. So I, during my 21-day fast, I wasn't on social media. So when I wasn't doing things work-related or reading my Bible or prayer, would I kind of got on this thing of researching near-death experiences um, because I was watching a, a podcast, uh, watching a video of a podcast <laughs> Two guys talk. I think it was uh, Sean McDowell. He has a really cool YouTube channel where a lot he interviews a lot of different people and talks about some really cool subjects that most people don't talk about. And he was talking about near death experiences with someone that had really researched it and like wrote a book about it and everything. And it was cool how every near death experience that he had researched, they were all very similar that they are above the body, they can see things, like kind of like when people are on like the um, operating table and they can see themselves above, but they're so light and they don't feel pain and they don't feel, they don't feel like they're where they used to be, like they're in just a totally different realm. Mm -hmm. The fact that you, I'm sitting here talking to you and you've literally experienced something something like that is really cool to me how... Uh, I was just researching all of this, and now you're sitting here telling me a personal story about that. They got they went into more of the conversation talking about you know near death experiences and what people think about them, what science tries to disprove about them, and that it's all mental. Mm-hmm. Those are things like that 
where I don't see how people do not believe that there is something else beyond where we are. Whether that's another, whatever God or spiritual thing you want to believe in, which, you know, I know that those are deceitful. Uh, That's what I believe. But I just don't see how anybody cannot believe in in the spiritual world when there are so many counts of this happening. It's cool to talk to someone that's literally seen the spirit. So how did that really change your life spiritually? Like, I mean, was it just night and day? Well, I when I look back at it, yeah, I say night and day because the things that I had, the things that are in, were so important then are not as important now. Yes. Um, I had Amen. basically, <laughs> and, and my recovery was incredibly quick. Um, they said, the type, this type of injury, you're going to be two years out before you're actually really up on your feet and, and all this stuff. So I had six to eight weeks of sitting in the recliner. And watching mm-hmm. life happen around me. Right. And I thought, we are just, this world is way too busy. Mm-hmm. You know, it even shut me down, which I'm a very... Go, go, uh, go. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm very me too. active all the time. <laughs> Same. You know, and it even shut me down long enough to go, there are so many more important things. And, you know, even though you're a Christian for so many years, you have those, I call them monuments in your life, that you look back at when you go, oh, my God. There really is a God. Yes. There really, he really is real. And that was one of two and that I have actually had them because I could, I knew that I had that opportunity to just step into another realm, which told me that heaven is closer to us than we actually think Absolutely. it is. You yeah. know, we're thinking of this big thing in the sky and God is so far away from us and it's like, no, no. Yeah. He's right here in your face yes. with you at all times. Yes. I mean, and I knew that I could take his hand and reach over that day. But the choice was mine in my spirit. And so therefore, he's going to take it and unroll it and go, okay, now we're yeah. going to work. Yeah. So it changed my perspective of how we live our daily lives and how we interact with each other and, yeah. and the grace that we have with each other. Yeah. Because we're all just, Lisa framed it this way. I remember her saying, we're just all people doing our best, trying to do the right things. Right. And we have little grace for each other. Mm-mm. We have more judgment. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Because yeah. it all stems down to the most, the biggest sin, which is pride. To me, I feel like mm-hmm. everything is rooted in pride. But we're all so quick to judge each other. Oh, oh, I'm look what I'm doing. You're not doing the same thing. And that's something that Christians, we struggle with so much because when we, <clears throat> when our lives change and we're like radically moved by God and then someone else isn't, we're like, well, why aren't you doing this? And it's a definitely a, renewing of the mind and a transforming of the heart that it takes for that well god is god is such love and Mm. you asked me what what radically changed and and that is the depth of his love and understanding that you know i think it's in psalms where he talks about his love wraps itself around you yeah i felt that that day Mm. in a way that no pain touched me and 
I just could feel his goodness and his love. And it was a place I actually didn't want to leave. So I right. see why people, when they do get so close to death, and some do make, I think some literally make that decision where they're like, okay, I'm, I'm just going on and don't call me back yes. <laughs> because I'm going on. Because the peace is extreme. Yes. Um, and it makes you, like, it's comforting to hear that because here on earth we're so afraid of death. Mm-hmm. But if we only knew that death isn't something that we should fear, it's it, it kind of um, releases that anxiety in your mind of dying. Um, you know, one day we're all going to die. There's, you know... We all have a death date. <laughs> That's uh, right. Sorry to sorry to break it to you guys. One day we're all gonna die. <laughs> That's right. And um, people are so they just live in this mindset of living on Earth, and it, it's something so beyond that. Like we're all focused on the right now, where we're living right now, and we never think about what's gonna happen after we die. What if I I'm, I could die tomorrow? I mean, the, the, I, I can't see into the future. Um, and the fact that there's a possibility that I could die tomorrow is why I care so much about where I'm going afterwards. Because it's eternal. It's not... Right. This is only temporary. This is only our temporary home, our, our bodies. And I just, I just find it so cool. That's why, I, that's why I get giddy to talk about spiritual things. And <laughs> Rebecca laughs at me all the time. I actually called her yesterday and I was like... Okay, you're my only mutual friend with Victoria. Like, give me some deets on some things I should ask. And I mentioned your um, your accident, uh, something that I would just... And, and it was just in that moment, I thought, like, part of her book, she had an accident. She had, like, a, a near-death experience. And Rebecca goes, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Out of the whole book, you are going to bring that up. And I was like, sorry, that's just who I am. Well, it gives me, it gave me a, a glimpse of eternity. Yeah. And... And also how, how God can use even those things, even after the moment of choo- I chose life. Yeah. He puts it right to work because I, I had, before I was ever even up on my feet, I, yeah. had the, I just had the unction. I had to call the people that hit me because mm-hmm. they had, the man, the driver, had stayed in touch with me in the hospital or, or to my progress. That's so good. The woman, however, on the passenger side, we'd never heard from. Yeah. Well, when I called them, uh, she answered the phone. And it wasn't a welcoming, I'm so glad you're alive <laughs> thing. Really? She was very bitter. And what I found out through our con- briefly through our conversation, or quickly through our conversation, was they had lost one of their twin sons mm-hmm. in a hit-and-run motorcycle accident two months prior. Oh, no. So she was bitter with that death. She was bitter with motorcycle riders in general. Okay. She was bitter with So you with had a name God. tag on you. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, who knows initially why she thought I was even calling. Because mm-hmm. most people are calling to say we're suing you or something like that. So I kind of thought maybe that's what it was too. But in our conversation, I said, listen, I just called to tell you that I'm alive and doing well. Yeah. And when I said that, she broke. And began to tell me the whole story and right. gave me uh, her phone number to the uh, motorcycle victim advocate club yeah. in Fayetteville that her other twin son had now created. And she was mad at him because he had started riding motorcycles. Uh, okay. So the, the, and you can look at all that and say, wow, that's a coincidence that somebody that had all that happen in their life were the ones that you actually, mm. you know, 
bumped into. Right. But no, I think God yeah. uses everything. I know. I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Me neither. No longer. <laughs> People say, oh, that's just a coincidence. Mm, nope. Yeah. <laughs> that's too spot on for me. Yeah. Let's go back to your son. How was that experience for you after counseling, after realizing all this trauma that you had experienced and working through that? Because you, you talk a lot about how your son saw the abuse and he, got, he had to see it. And I, le- I know that that probably took a lot of strength for you to mention your child in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that you did because sometimes I think we tend to forget that children are in our presence all the time. <laughs> and they hear and they, um, they're basically like little parrots. I mean, they copy everything you say. And yeah. it's so important for us to remember that even when they're little, they're seeing these things that you're, you're going through, the way that you respond, you know, he may have seen when his dad was getting aggressive or manipulating and seeing you cowered down to that. Mm-hmm. What has he from, and I know you can't speak for him, but what has he told you since the book writing? Like, have you guys had some pretty good conversations, like deep conversations about, your trauma and his trauma and like kind of healing through that together? It has come out in different moments. Okay. Funny thing about the book, we've never actually discussed the book itself. Okay. And the day before it was published, he was at our house Mm -hmm. and I put it in an envelope with a letter because that's my typical way of communicating. Even in counseling, I wrote (laughs) letters to my counselor all week long. And that's okay. (laughs) Hey. So I wrote him a letter, which I've communicated with him a lot through the years like like that when I'm really coming down to some heart issues. And I remember when I, what I wanted to tell him was, this book is getting ready to be published like on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's about to be public. <laughs> and I realized, and you're in the story too. So that's what I told him in the letter. But one thing that came up when I was actually writing that was, I understood all of a sudden after... Mm right at that moment, that I didn't know his perspective of it. Yeah. So when I handed him the book and, and he said, I remember, remember it like it was yesterday, he said, Mom, this is really hard for you, isn't it? Because I was mm. trying to spit it out that I had written this book about our, our lives and all of our stuff. Right. And uh, I said, it is really hard. He goes, well, don't worry about it. He said, that was 20 years ago with you and Dad. He said, that was between you guys. Mm. I was like, Okay, wow. So I'm glad I wrote that in the letter because I don't didn't understand his perspective. Now, since that, since the writing, yes, there's been a lot of conversation. And I'm going to say that has been based on the foundation of prayer. Mm-hmm. All that has been motivated. All mm-hmm. that healing has been the, motivated from the prayer bed I had laid right. his whole 35 years of his life. Right. And even the prayer bed that I had laid during the abuse, how much of it, was his mind protected simply because I asked the Holy Spirit to protect him in those Ooh, moments. Wow. So I, I <laughs> wow, don't... Wow, you don't think about... Yeah. Wow. I don't push I a lot of... Uh, with him, just a lot of the memories, because one of the things I learned in counseling, too, was the Holy Spirit will bring up the things that he needs to touch on. Yes. You don't have to go dig for anything. Yes. Those areas that do need healed, he'll, he'll bring up. So the things that he that my son and I have actually discussed, I believe have just been Holy Spirit inspired. Wow. And I've been able to say, so that's how you've seen it. 
and, and actually apologize in those moments. And we have a moment of healing and then we yeah. walk on. And I've watched him be so free in mm. his own timing, That's in God's amazing. own timing for him and his own child and how he raises his child in different perspectives of, um, of what he had that my perspectives were not that at all. Yeah. In the times when I thought that, oh my gosh, he's absorbing all of this. He, this is we're ruining our child and all of this. I think he was protected during those times. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I've never see counseling again. I've never looked at it in this light before. There are so many things that I'm sure that the Holy Spirit protected me from as a child. Oh my gosh, I mean, I could go into detail about that, but <laughs> even things that I may not know that went on when I was a child that I'll never know. That's, it's a good reminder to know that uh, not only does the Holy Spirit reveal things to us and to heal us, but he also protects us from things that may not be something he believes we should know about. Right. Yeah. And, and in the moment, because, because in the moment, and if you're in abuse in an abusive relationship, understand that your your children are they're victims of that. Right. So in the moment, he was the peacekeeper. Mm-hmm. All he wanted was his family to stay together. He wanted peace between mom and dad. He was going to find the best and whatever he could pick out of in all of that. And all the times weren't bad. Right. He's got a lot of good memories, and I do too. Yeah. And I was able to weed through and actually find the good out of out of that seventeen year marriage. We had a lot of that. Yeah. But there was also a lot of bad, just a lot of dysfunction. Yeah. So how did that mold him from into his own adulthood? He he had to understand that, hey, this came from that. But I believe that I've been able to, with my own freedom, kind of bring light on that a little quicker. Mm. He didn't have to he's not gonna have to be in his late fifties to understand, hey, I gotta unravel some stuff in my childhood. That's right. Because his mother being free and that mm. would go with any parent. It's going to escalate. That makes me want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to escalate because Mm -hmm. now I'm able to go, you know, simple things. Like we went back to uh, some of his old basketball videos the other day, and I was listening to how I demanded perfection out of him when he was little. I mean, I was a a perfectionist because I was caught up in my own stuff and trying to keep everything all together. Control. And control. And I I was videoing going, oh, that was a good basket, but but this and but that. Right. He and I were watching it together, and I said, dude, mm. I am so sorry. I said, you had you had a really uh, bossy mom. Mm. And he kind of laughed. He goes, ah, you weren't that bossy. And I said, yeah, I was. Yeah. I was, and I'm sorry. I didn't didn't mean to demand perfection on you like that. Ugh. Just, a, just a tender moment, you know, and then it's gone. And that's so, that's so healing to hear that from a parent. Um, you... When you started talking about when mom is free, or when dad, or even when dad is free, mm-hmm. um, that that is healing for the child, and uh, it made me want to cry because it, it just makes me think of how desperately your children just want mom and dad to be free, mm-hmm. and they don't want them to feel like they have to control every single aspect of everything and that they don't have to hold it all together because God is holding it all together. Right. Yeah. If we just release that to him, it, it's the best, it's the best life you could possibly get here on earth. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> because, you know, earth is hard. I was ta- I talk about that a lot about how, how hard the world is. 
Um, and God is literally, I always think about the, um, like I picture the world just like crumbling and God is literally on the outside, like trying to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. And your story is just really inspiring from many different uh, perceptions of it. Like coming from the child, coming from the mother or the father, even someone, maybe the, not the abusee, but the abuser, maybe someone used to abuse and is no longer abuse, abusing their, the people that they love. And maybe they're healing through that. I had never even thought of that. You know, this, because when I wrote the book, I thought all women, and I did have a reader that was a husband. Yeah. Or is a husband. Yes. And he and his wife had been separated from what I heard of the story. Mm-hmm. And he just picked up the book off of her her um, table and read it himself while he was there keeping their kids. <laughs> and actually wow. resolved all that because he saw himself as that. In your position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's crazy how, you know, we're always so pinpointing on the abuser doing the things but we never really say okay well why is the abuser an abuser why why do they feel the need to abuse someone that they say they love and I'm not giving any (laughs) I'm not condoning this whatsoever like and, and that is fully their responsibility and something that they have to carry and work through themselves but we're so quick to just like, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I know you have, you wrote him eventually, your ex, your ex-husband, mm-hmm. which is really, I'm going to let you go into that, but you know, we're, we're always focused on the abused person finding healing, but you know, ultimately the abuser needs healing too. Yeah. They're just not receiving it. Um, because it's like they're on the bad side of the fence. So it's like, you stay over there. You've done so many, all of these bad things, which he did. He did horrible things. But, you know, what if, what if the world, what if we didn't have any people abusing people? That would be a dream world, right? Right. Yeah. That would be nice. And it, yeah. And if, they, and if they were fully healed from that. Anyway, before I start rambling on, I want you to talk about the letter that you wrote your, hus- your ex-husband. Yeah. That was interesting because... In that, that, that letter came to him during a time that his life was in a crisis and I was in counseling. And we had just visited, my husband and I now had just went back and visited the old ranch. Okay. It all came yes. around the same time. Yes. And it was, the timing on it was just incredible. So in visiting the old ranch, it was abandoned at the time we visited it. Mm-hmm. There was nobody there. And... I was not ready for what happened in the psyche when we drove up on that property because I hadn't been there in years. Right. And I really just wanted to go by there to show my ex-husband or my my current husband where all this stuff had started because he'd he'd been hearing the stories and we were in that area. Right. Hey, let's drive by. I'll show you. Right. Well, we drive in and it's it's abandoned and I started having all this flashback of and it was like that whole seventeen years got crammed into five minutes. Yes. (laughs) There was the shop that he tried to lock me in. There was all these moments when I at the trash can when I was having to burn everything that was dear to me because he was making me burn uh, videos of my music that we had recorded through the years and diaries and journals and 
just things that had happened. And I could even see my son peering out the his bedroom window while he watched us fight going on out there in the, in the yard and everything. Mm. So a lot of flashback had happened. And then his life got in a crisis. Yeah. And I felt the need to write him a letter. Right. So I did. And it was a letter. And the reason I wrote it is because in that moment in his life, I knew that I was the only one that truly right. knew the good mm. in him. Mm. Because I had lived, I, love that. I had lived the seventeen years with him. I knew his faults, but I also knew the good. And yes. I thought, I have got to just tell him. First of all, he's forgiven for me, right? And let's pull out all the good memories, and then all everything he's got to go forward with. I said, you have remembering all these times that we've done, we had together. You are a good man. You are very talented. Mm. He was just extremely talented this guy could do anything as far as fix anything and do right, all that right we our families knew each other from the time we were in high school mm. so there was just a lot of history that I could pull out with him and then I left him with the scripture that said uh after you've suffered for a little while <laughs> and I think it's in first Peter and mm -hmm. after that things are going to be okay yeah. and in other words a word from me here's all your good I forgive you Get your life on track because you still have a wonderful son. You still have a wonderful grandson. You have all this to live for. Give them everything you have. Wow. And as much as I thought this is going to be so good for me, <laughs> right? I had no idea it was going to be so good for him. Oh, okay. And for my my son, let me know that you know. Don't know what you wrote in that letter, but it really touched my dad. Okay. So. Another thing, those things are in the spirit realm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes. you think you can just be dropping a letter in the mail or whatever or getting it delivered, but it's in the spirit realm yes. that those things are broken. <clears throat> and I it, totally agree. <laughs> once more, another thing shucked off of me so that I was able to walk in a little bit more freedom. Yeah, like so healing for you, but yet so healing for him at the same time. So you did hear that, I don't know if you wrote this in the book or not, like I said, horrible at remembering things. Um, so he did respond in some form in saying that it did help him? Or, yes. Or, or your son just caught on to that? No, no, no. He said, he said it was an emotional time for him. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that just gives me chills. <laughs> I love it. Well, I pulled up some scripture just... Just like I said before, uh, for anyone that might be uh, in an abusive relationship or healing from an abusive relationship, whether they're the abuser or the abusee, Proverbs one thirty three. but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Mm. I good. love, yes, I love that. Uh, you know, that those Google search you do on scripture to help heal <laughs> abusive past. <laughs> And of course, you know, you get a million, but that one really stuck out to me because, you know, we're always so, we think that the healing comes from ourselves, but, but it doesn't. It, it comes from God. God is the one guiding you through that healing and showing you. And sometimes it's things that you don't want to see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God, God loves us so much and he doesn't want us to feel pain or hurt. But 
sometimes in order to heal, you have to feel that pain and that hurt. And I just love your story because it's, it's beautifully written, by the way. I know that you enjoy writing. Thank you. <laughs> I can tell that you enjoy writing. I do. And if you don't mind. Yeah, no, please. To mention going back when you're talking about God wanting us to go or not wanting us to feel the pain, but sometimes it's necessary to feel the pain. Yes. When we went back to the old ranch, and I write about it in detail, mm-hmm. what I didn't understand was how you can leave your inner child back so many several years. You can leave them at the place of trauma. Mm-hmm. And what was happening in that moment when I was having all the flashbacks was an integration of the wounded part of me, mm-hmm. and it was integrating with who I am now. Right. And... What is really incredible about all that is the wounded part of me was the strong part of me. Mm-hmm. She was actually the one that survived. She was actually the one that made her way through all of that. And, right. I, and I had shunned her off in such a way because I saw it as weak. Yes. I didn't realize she was the strength I actually needed to integrate with to pull me into wholeness. Yes. So when I looked back at that moment, I thought that was a really necessary moment. Right. Because the psyche will leave fragments, and you can get very fragmented in the time of your, your whole journey, because you'll mm-hmm. leave different pieces of you in different parts of your life. Yeah. Wow. That's good. <laughs> well, funny that you're, we're talking about surrendering control, because there's a part in this book that talks about it, and I'm going to read it. Okay. <laughs> it is called, this is towards the end of the book, it says, Surrendering, surrendering Control, I felt both relief and terror when I realized I was not strong enough to hold up the world around me on my own. Relief came when the burden of responsibility was finally sacrificed. In terror, I wondered if I didn't hold it up, who would? I made the decision. This path of learned behavior was going to stop with me. I pleaded with God to give me the courage, strength, and insight to set the generations behind me free. I was aware that the relationship with my son was a total wreck, and I held part of the keys to making it turn for the better. In that moment, the cowardly, insecure, fearful bondage I had developed through the years of abuse had to exit, or my following generations and I would continue to ride the rat wheel of extremely unhealthy relationship cycles. That's beautiful. Wow, that's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I think I know the lady who wrote this. I'm so glad that I wrote that book Mm. out of the raw deliverance. Yeah. Because it was those kind of things that you can't just write on your own. Yeah. You You have to write them in the moment. That is true. Well, I think that if you have not read this book and you're listening, you need to read it. It's very, very good. Whether you have you know, dealt with anything close to what, uh, Victoria has dealt with or not. I think it's just a really good book to read to just get a perspective on that and any type of healing really. Um, so tell people, how can they, how can they get your book? Well, of course, Amazon's always out there for us, (laughs) but we have some local places too. Uh, Artistic Bean on Garrison Avenue. Sweet. They are so great to do that for me and Brick City Emporium on 74th street. They also 
put the book out there for me. Sweet. That's yes. really cool. So they can get it there. They can um, also go to lifesgoldenseason.com. That's my blog now. Yes. So that's kind of my outlet for writing these days. Right. And uh, get on that get on that list because on the, like my constant contact list, and I don't bug you a lot, but <laughs> once a month I'll send you something because we're releasing, along with my writing, I do a lot of music. Right. So with our recording studio that we also do, um, my husband's a great producer, and those things that are coming out of the spirit right now, new music is coming out of the heavenlies. Yeah. So I'm really excited to just sit down and you know ask God what He wants to be known on the earth. So we're producing some of that and putting it out on, of course, all your your music medias. That's awesome. And you play several different instruments, don't you? Well, yeah. I've played the guitar since I was like nine. Yeah. Banjo right after that. That's so cool. Yeah. I love the banjo. Now I'm kind of doing the keyboard and worship at the Refuge Ministries in Van Buren. Awesome. And a little bit of mandolin. and I'm a daredevil. I'll just pick right. up whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really cool. I love music too. Uh, and you sing? A little bit. A little yeah. bit? More, more. What I really love to do is write. Yeah. I think I've said that a few times. Yes. But, uh, do you write music? I do. I've written some, and the last, the latest one, and I've recorded some with my own vocal, but the latest one we've done, we let Bethany Rose. Uh-huh. She's a local artist as well and doing really well, and she came in and did the vocal for me, and I'm like, hey, I think I'm <laughs> in my niche. Yes. Let me write and go ahead and get it published and let somebody else do it. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, if you're listening and you liked everything that we had to say, and if you didn't, um, sorry, <laughs> but I hope you pick the book up and I hope you give it a chance and read it and um, find Victoria Bragg's blog. What was it again? Life's Golden Season. Life's Golden Season. Because mm-hmm. I'm in a season of gold. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Right now. And I want right. to say to you, oh. <laughs> I love what you're doing here, especially on a local level. Oh, I really you. do. Thank you. Yeah, I think you, I think you hit some subjects that are much needed to be exposed. Mm. And whatever the light reveals is healed. So yes. I think you're doing a lot of that, more than you know. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, it's a big passion of mine, and I, um, it's crazy when it started out. It was like, this is going to do so much good for people. And then through it were so many trials and errors and hurts and some good and some bad. And he used this to, to heal me, too. It wasn't just a ministry for other people. It was like ministry for my heart. And mm-hmm. it's it's just really cool to see how God really works. and versus how we think he works. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yes. Wow. Yeah, but no, I love it and thank you. Thank you for supporting it and listening to it and uh, and being on here. I, I love it. Well, I was honored and I, I recently heard uh, somebody say that a podcast is like a love offering. Oh, yes. And there's just so much that goes into it that people don't see from behind the scenes. So I encourage others, support. Support, yeah. especially you guys here on a local level. Yeah. Support those things that are going on around us. It is important to support local for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Well, thanks, Victoria. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like more information on this podcast, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Picturing Purpose Podcast. Find us on Anchor as well as every major streaming service. If you are excited for this journey and want to see this podcast thrive, there are many ways you can help. The most simple thing you can do is by leaving 
a five-star review on your streaming service of choice. Reviews help podcasts so much. Another easy thing, anytime you see a post from the Picturing Purpose podcast social media pages, please comment, like, and share. This generates a bigger audience and brings more listeners. You never know, one of your friends may need to hear an encouraging word. I need daily motivation myself. Last, but definitely not least, if you want to see this podcast fulfill its purpose, your donations are incredibly appreciated. Keeping the podcast up and running is an extra cost I have taken on and will continue to do as needed. I know that God will always provide because this podcast is His. Not only will donations go to the making of the podcast, but Picturing Purpose will be blessing a portion of its monthly earnings to people in need. Whatever God puts on my heart is where the money will go. There is no donation too small, and you can also set up reoccurring payments. Even $5 a month would be super helpful. If you are unable to donate, your prayers are powerful. Please pray for this podcast and that it continues to serve its purpose and spread the love of Christ. Our hope is that Picturing Purpose is an encouragement to anyone that needs it and that we create strong, confident, and motivated disciples. Thank you for your support.